You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 22 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf, and as always, I'm joined by Matt Powell and Nathan Van Horn, and we're going to jump right into it and continue the story of Cain and Abel and the first murder. But before we do that, as always, I want to remind you that wherever you're listening, Spotify, iTunes, Overcast, whatever it is, take a moment and click like, subscribe, follow, whatever it is on your platform. To make sure that you're getting weekly updates and always getting notified when the podcast comes out. We're already well beyond 500 subscribers at this point, and you too can be counted among that elite, that uh, chosen <laughs> number. So if, be sure to do if you, that. If you want to be in the Platinum Club, write a review. <laughs> That's oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. If you write a review on iTunes, a written text review, man, that boosts us big time, and uh, we will forever be grateful to hey, you. Hey, be- before be- before we get started, can I say something? Absolutely. Uh, so there's always more. We you know, we often allude to conversation that we have uh, while we're not recording. One of the things that I'm thankful for is that, um, you know, we get into a lot of stuff that doesn't get discussed in church. But before we do each episode, I'm, I'm thankful to pray with you guys each week um, because there is more than content going on here. We, we do want the podcast to be a testament to the character of God, which is something that we'll we'll highlight in today's episode, right? There's the content of what God says, but you see glimpses into his character through what he does, even beyond what he says. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful that we start with prayer. And I, I do hope, you know, I hope this is not just novel information and perspectives on how to interpret the text. I, I hope that this uh, podcast is ministering to people. I hope it is uh, building your confidence, not just in what we're claiming God has done, but who we are claiming that God fundamentally is. So uh, I'm, I'm thankful for you guys, and I'm glad we get to pray together each week. Amen to that. <laughs> all right. Well, let's go ahead. And Matt, are, are we going to read all of uh, 1 through 16 again, or how, how are we doing that? Why don't we just focus on 8 through 16? We looked at 1 through 16 last week, and we uh, can probably just look at 8 through 16 this week and focus on what we need to. All right. Then Matt's been a while since you read, so i tell you what, why don't you start us off with that? Sure thing. Uh, coming from the ESV, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive 
and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. All right. Well, just to start us off with immediately, I have a question that has come from a mistake that I've made. Uh, despite asking the listener to remember that we're reading from the ESV every single week, you think that I would have changed my settings on my online Bible. But I actually, when you read that, I was looking at the NIV version of the Bible, and I noticed that there's a, a, a quite a substantial discrepancy between what I was reading and what you were reading, Matt, because where, what I'm reading, it says that Cain or told Abel, hey, let's go out to the field. And then he, you know, he does them in. Ah, yeah. So the ESV has no direct statement. And when they were in the field, the NIV has a direct quote. Hey, Abel, let's go out to the field. Yeah. And I'm thinking that's a pretty, I, I want to ask about that because that seems pretty big to me because I'm just speaking like if I'm, if I'm Kane's lawyer, man, that's the difference between murder one and manslaughter. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's so true. So, well, uh, in de defense of the NIV, the NIV is not the only one like the Christian standard Bible. Uh, the others, what is, what is the good old 1611 say? Let's see. It, it, it's with the ESV. It has no direct. Quote. It's with the ESV man. So solid. You can count on it every time. Good King um, Jimmy. That's by, right. the, by the way, don't so, you love how Matt just hopped to answering this since he's now our scandalous topics guy? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, he's just our go-to. If there's something fishy in the podcast, man, we're going straight to Matt. If, it, well, if, it, if it's okay. about sexual activity or textual criticism, Matt, you're going <laughs> I've never thought of those two things in the same sentence. but N Nor anyway. has anyone else. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, uh, in fact, uh, Nathan... I know you you'll just lateral the football to me, but I think you can help us here, uh, especially in helping us understand where this comes from. Yes. Like, so don't be scandalized too much, listener. Uh, one of the things that we have is uh, we read our Bible in English, but the Bible was not initially revealed in English. Uh, the Old Testament primarily is, is written in Hebrew with the exception of about half of Daniel, half of Ezra, uh, part of a verse in Jeremiah and part of a verse in Genesis would have little you know hints of Aramaic. Uh, but overwhelmingly, the Old Testament is revealed in Hebrew. Uh, two or three centuries before Jesus comes, uh, the Old Testament is translated from Hebrew into Greek, uh, something that's called the Septuagint, or sometimes you just see it uh, referred to by LXX, which means 70, uh, hence Septuagint. And that goes back to a legend about how the Septuagint came about. Uh, anyway, um, a, a lot of times when uh, New Testament writers, for instance, were, were quoting from the Old Testament, sometimes the Hebrew was used. Other times, and, and perhaps even more often, it seems that they were using the Septuagint. Uh, well, there, there are subtle differences between the Hebrew text and the Septuagint text, and, and one of those is borne witness to in today's passage. Uh, in the Hebrew text, there is no direct quote. Um, it just says that 
Cain spoke to his uh, to Abel, his brother, and then when they were in the field, he rose up against him. And you see that captured in the ESV and the King James. However, in the Greek text, there is a direct statement. Let's go out to the field. Um, and so those English translations that have the direct quote are, are going with the Septuagint. And those that don't have it, ESV and King James, are going with the Hebrew. But it raises the question for us, well, hey, if the Hebrew is original, uh, why would anyone go with the Greek? Uh, and that that's where it gets complicated. Where the Hebrew is original, our manuscripts of the Greek Septuagint are often older and of a better quality than our manuscripts of the Hebrew. And in many cases, our Hebrew manuscripts are older, more fragment, I mean, newer or more fragmentary, uh, you know, more recent. Um, and so this is this highlights uh, the way that translation committees are, are weighing the respective evidence. Um, uh, but I, I would say, which what, no matter which option you take, you have, uh, you know, to, to Gandalf's point, no matter which option you take, direct quote or no direct quote, both both traditions are capturing that Cain spoke to Abel. I would say that both traditions are capturing that uh, uh, Cain's actions are premeditated. Again, this is after God has warned Cain, uh, warned Cain, as we talked about in last week's episode. Correct. Uh, so you don't lose premeditation. Uh, all you lose is. Um, you know, it says they went out into the field, so you can presume whether or not the direct quote is there that he said something to Abel like, let's go out into the field. So uh, that's just a, a peek behind the curtain for how, you know, our Greek and Hebrew uh, translations end up slightly different in the English sometimes. Um, you know, it's interesting how they overlap even for today is that if we have translations for the Bible that seek to, uh, like for instance, this morning when I was reading the scripture, I was reading from the NLT, New Living Translation, which is a thought-for-thought thought translation, as opposed to the ESV, which tends to be more word-for-word. Word. But the, the purpose is of the NLT is it's, it's seeking to capture the idea. It, and sometimes going word-for-word, word, you, get, you get lost in the weeds of, you know, what does that actually mean? And translations like the NLT can, can help with that. So it seems, it's just funny to me that even in the ancient world, in the, on those ancient translations committees, that as, Nathan, I know you've said this to me in private conversation before, and I remember hearing it in, in seminary, that all translation is interpretation. Yeah, there, um, so, so there's a, there's any, there's even a dictum about this, traditory, traditory, all translators are traitors, because there is no way, there's just no way to move 100% from uh, an original language to a receptor language uh, because no two language systems are identical. Uh, you mentioned the New Living Translation. There's a great book that I would commend uh, to our readers. It's called One Bible, Many Versions. It's by Dave Brunn, who was uh, one of the people behind the New Living Translation. Now, I'll put my cards on the table. The New Living Translation is not a go-to translation for me. Uh, it's it's not one of my most used translations. Uh, nothing wrong with it. Um, but Dave Brunn does a great job in that book of showing how all the things that each translation say the others are guilty of, they all commit the same thing in different parts because it's 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 not always a right or wrong thing. It's a it's an interpretive choice in many instances of of how do you handle moving between the expression in one language to the reception in another language. Uh, so one Bible, many versions. I, I that was assigned reading in a course 
um, that I taught. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of good fodder in there. By the way, I love that we've now delved into not only textual criticism, but translation theory. Uh, <laughs> for all of our listeners that have been begging us to make this podcast even nerdier, you are heard. We see you. We hear you. <laughs> we, have, we haven't even really gotten into the text today. So, so, so we, you know, we kind of stumbled on this issue about, you know, whether Cain just spoke to Abel or this direct quote of, you know, hey, let's go out into the field. And that's just, we kind of just stumbled on that in this podcast by accident. And we're only on chapter four. So is I take it this is going to be a continuous thing. Is well, this well, yeah, I, but I, I, yeah, I would say, look, yeah, there's many. Uh, we'll have many opportunities to discuss some of these dynamics. I would say don't lose the forest for the trees. Look what's happening. It's it's almost like this passage is a repeat of what we saw at the beginning of Genesis 3, right? Just as God warned Adam what would happen if he ate from the tree, God God warned Cain uh, about right. sin's desire being for him. Well, right after that, the serpent used a conversation. He spoke to Eve to lead the man and woman astray. And now, whether through direct speech or indirect speech, Cain is speaking to his brother to lead him in the uh, to lead him astray to get him in the field where he's going to try to bring about death just like the serpent did. In contrast, though, is that whereas Adam and Eve and the New Testament writers do pick up on this are clearly deceived. Uh, Cain is deliberate. Yeah, this absolutely. is eyes wide open. This is Cain knows exactly what he's doing. Well, Cain, and, Cain's acting a lot more like the serpent. <laughs> yes. He, yes, that's very good. Cain's acting like the serpent. Uh, and also where Adam and Eve and Nathan, I know you've talked about this before, went and hid themselves in the garden. There is like no indication like that Cain is hiding at all. <laughs> well, uh, well, and that's interesting. I, I think we should look at the similarities and differences. So what's, what's neat is, uh, so Adam and Eve hide before God shows up, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in other words, in other words, God has warned them that their disobedience, the day that you eat of it, you will die or dying. You will begin to die as we talked about. Uh, and so then when they, when their eyes are open, you know, they recognize that they're naked. Uh Oh, we've done something wrong. They know what God could do. So they hide themselves. And then when God shows up, they find him to be on the one hand, just but on the other hand, gracious. And we've talked about that in the podcast. What's interesting is Cain is exactly the opposite. God warned Cain, just like he warned Adam. It is not until after God's judgment that Cain says, I've got to hide. <laughs> uh, right? Is, is, isn't that what we find? Um, uh, further down in the text uh, that you read, um, Behold, you have driven me today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer. Uh, so it, it's neat. Uh, you know, you talked about, Matt, how um, Adam, even though he receives judgment from God, curses the ground because of you, Adam clings to the promise. Right right after the judgment, he names his wife Eve. He, he clings to God giving him the woman as his Easter, his helpmate, and as a propagator of life. Cain is the exact opposite. He doesn't cling to the promise. He clings to the punishment. Uh, not life, but death. Um, uh, you have driven me today from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. I will be a fugitive and a wanderer, and whoever finds me will kill me. Uh, Adam, you, you get, uh, again, a, the text does not explicitly say repentance for Adam, 
but you see Adam leaning back on the character of God. Uh, and, and Cain seems to lean away from that. Uh, we were talking before the podcast, if you went on to verse 17, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. Interesting, we have the name of the child, but not the name of the wife, whereas Adam named Eve. Uh, he named her and as the mother of all living. But there is no such naming here. This is a, a no-name woman that there is no no pressing into the Eatser here. This is just... Uh, and also the destruction that's going to come from this family line, it's go, we're going to see that in, in following episodes. So it, it is an interesting contrast. Yeah, and you often have, you know, uh, you know, Gandalf, one dynamic that we will see as we move through the Bible. The Bible often puts two stories together in tandem, back to back almost, um, almost to invite the type of comparison and contrast that we're doing. One big example that occurs to me is the story of Rahab uh, versus the story of Achan or Achan as, as his name is usually pronounced. Um, Rahab is a Gentile. She's a non-Israelite who expresses faith in God. And because of that, she and her family are saved, right? When the people are going into Jericho. Uh, and then right after the siege of Jericho, uh, Achan or Achan, uh, even though he is an Israelite, he does what God told them not to do, and he and his family are right. condemned. And so he takes from and, the accursed thing. <laughs> yeah, and so and so each each of those stories makes more sense when you read it alongside the other story, the accompanying story. And I think that's what you have um, with Adam and Eve, and then Cain and Abel. Uh, like we said last week, um, we we see um humanity and cooperation even after the stain of sin after the fall with Adam and Eve and with with Cain you see uh human humanity and competition because of sin um it's it's not always just what we see but how we see yeah um so there there's so much we could say on on that um about this passage well i noticed that there there's similarities and the differences that are highlighted i noticed that god is doing the same exact thing with Cain they did with Adam and Eve. He comes in detective Columbo style, starts asking. Where's your brother? They already, <laughs> yeah. knows, and, they already and, know yeah. the answer to. And, and look, 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 look at that subtle difference. Instead of Adam, where are you? Cain, where mm -hmm. is your brother? <laughs> right. Uh, man, this that's is like staple God talk. Like Jesus asks questions, God asks questions. It's just it's wanting to uh, bring the character to the place where they're encountering the truth that yeah, is unavoidable. I, I love what Paul says. I mean, I've probably quoted it because uh, when, when God is rooting out the truth, I love what Paul says, do you not know that it is the kindness of God that brings you yeah. to repentance? Uh, e e e yeah. Even when God is being just, uh, it, how we respond to God's justice says a lot about how we actually believe in his character. Nathan, um, interestingly on that vein, is that if we were talking about God's justice here, Cain deserves to be ground into powder. I mean, he has just killed his brother. Why doesn't God just strike Cain down? I mean, what about eye for an eye, tooth for a truth, tooth for a tooth? And we're going to see at the end of the the Noah narrative that those who shed the blood of men by men, their blood must be shed. Like, why is God sparing Cain? Why not strike not, this down? And I, I would say not only sparing Cain, protecting Cain. Then the Lord said to him, verse 15, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one would attack him. There's grace even in the justice. 
when we think about the Old Testament, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, we a lot of times it's like, man, it's so harsh. Everybody was like, kill him, kill him, kill her. Everybody dies. The consequences for everything that, you know, if a son rebels against his parents, you stone him at the city gates. You know, God is just such a hard, hard, hard person. And and yet uh, and I think we've talked about it in previous episodes is that even though we do see in the law of God and in the Torah, and we'll get to those places, that this is what these offenses deserve. There's just not a whole lot of places in the narrative where you actually read about it being carried out. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's interesting. Uh, uh, and again, this is what we see with we see with Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is the one who comes into a world where every if the wages of sin is death, Jesus comes into a world of sinners. Everyone around Jesus deserves to die, and yet the story of Jesus climaxes not with all of Jesus's enemies dying, but Jesus dying for all of his enemies. Um, and so the same, in other words, the same God who revealed and spoke these words will also be, will eventually become the word made flesh and die and die for the punishment of the world. Like that's the, that's the heart of God. I don't, I, I, I in no way want to soften, um, words like wrath. I know, and in no way want to soften words like judgment. I, I know what God is able to do, whatever he wants to do wants to do. I hope no one hears me challenging that or pushing back on that. I'm just saying, don't read the system on top of the story. Form your system right. in light of the story as it is revealed. Because because sometimes the system can strain out the character of God as revealed in the story. And mm. maybe a little bit of a, a, a small, like, we're not going to check off's gun. It's, this is a small one, but in Kenneth Matthews, his uh, New American Commentary, picks up on the idea from verse number 12, no, verse 13, and Cain said to Yahweh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. It's this whole idea, it's the same vocabulary that's going to be used in Isaiah when it talks about bearing the iniquity. Uh, it's picked up on Leviticus 16, that the, the lamb that's sent outside the camp that is sent away bearing the iniquity. And iniquity is this idea of the built-up consequences that Cain is going to bear these consequences for what he has done. And because of that, he is going to, to wander on the earth. And this is the first place, because if I immediately say bearing punishment and iniquity, it, we as Christian people go, oh, Isaiah 53. Oh, this is talking about Jesus. Actually, this is talking about Cain here in this instance, but this is the first place this idea is introduced. That makes me think of another one that we discussed and didn't make it into last week's podcast, uh, where it says uh, that Cain became furious, right, with his brother. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Cain, Cain becomes furious with his brother. It's the same word used of God becoming angry at Moses in Exodus 4.14. Oh, yeah, when we and, talked about that a few weeks back. Yeah, and, and yet when God becomes angry... He doesn't kill Moses. Mm, that's right. <laughs> God, God, God's anger, God's anger is more warranted, and yet it's mitigated in a restorative manner. Cain's anger right. is not warranted, and he slays his brother. Yeah, um, man's you know, anger does not accomplish the righteousness right. of God. Yeah, and, and so you see so many things that that build on what's come before. You know, look look at how you have the intensification when Adam and Eve sin, and it's not deliberate per se. Uh, they're deceived by the serpent. Um, cursed is the ground because of you. Now look what he says to Cain. 
cursed are you from the ground, essentially, right? A- mm-hmm. Adam Adam goes from being a steward of the garden to working by the sweat of his brow that produces, uh, when the ground produces thorns and thistles. God tells Cain, the ground's not even going to cooperate with you. Mm-hmm. Um, at, by, by the way, I love Genesis 3. Um, what was the context of their sin? They were eating something they weren't supposed to. What's the context of Cain's sin? He made the ground eat something it wasn't supposed to. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. You gave the ground something you weren't supposed to, just like the serpent gave your parents something he wasn't supposed to. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. That is. I also I also noticed uh, the we're talking about the juxtaposition of the two stories paired together. I, I see a lot of similarities in the curse of Cain versus the curse of Adam and Eve. It seems like it's just a furtherance of it because i notice here that it ends up with him going even farther away from eden good catch yeah that's an interesting catch catch there because okay what's interesting is that when we think of being exiled from eden uh according to genesis 4 they weren't exiled from eden they were exiled from the garden and if we remember back to the, the you know those into the far reaches of our minds to tap into our genesis 2 podcast is that like that 40, garden, 40 episodes ago. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that the garden was something special in the land of Eden, that the garden was the place where heaven meets earth, not necessarily Eden itself. So like Adam and Eve are still like floating around the land of Eden here, at least according to the text, it seems to suggest that, but they are definitely exiled from the garden, with yeah. the garden of God. They're exiled from paradise. Cain is now one more step removed. He, he's he he's out of Eden altogether. He's well, out and, of Eden. And, and you kind of have an undoing. You know, uh, Adam and Eve start with God taking them and putting them in a place that is supposed to be permanent. Cain is now not only put out of that place, he's made a wanderer. He will wander or he will have no permanent place. And the interesting thing about that, Nathan, is that in the land of Nod, the word nod means wandering. So it's almost like the text is saying that he went and sand, excuse me, he went and settled in the place of wandering. Meaning was that really a place? Because it's one of the things in like the, the Bible maps of the ancient world and Bible history stuff. Nobody knows where nod is. It's not mentioned anywhere. It's kind of like, you know, the place that's never named because it doesn't exist. It's, it's a place of wandering. Like, Nod is wherever Cain goes. and Oh, it's, it's like uh, elsewhere in the novel uh, The Giver. Right? Be, <laughs> yes. Being an a- analogy for, you know, death, you know, just going somewhere else. As we close out the episode, there is one thing that I think we need to go ahead and, and, and at least uh, put a check mark beside that we begin to understand, and it's the whole nature of judgment prophecies. We heard the judgment prophecy issued in Genesis 3, and it led Adam to pressing into the promise. He names his wife Eve, he embraces his Eetzer, and they have a son. They And it was, it was Cain. <laughs> we won't deal with that in the moment. But but anyway, they um, he presses into the Eetzer, and the line, the promise of the seed of the woman is, is carried forward. So Adam received the judgment prophecy, and it led him to p- 
penitent action towards God. And I'm being very specific here. It's 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 a theme that's picked up on, and it's not, you know, Adam's repentance out of Genesis 3 is a small minor point. It's not majored on. That he does press into the promise where Cain does not do so at all. Cain presses into his punishment, and then he wanders from the Lord's presence. There is a theme that's going to reoccur throughout the Old Testament, it's, and it's understood. It's, it occurs in the New Testament, too. Whenever God gives warning, a warning prophecy, or a judge, declared judgment prophecy, that when the people respond penitently or in repentance, at times the judgments that are foretold are mitigated or are taken away altogether. I think about the message of Jonah to the people of Nineveh. Jonah just said, listen, God's going to burn this place down. And he doesn't say if you change your ways, he won't. He just says God's going to burn this place down. And the people respond penitently, and God spares the city. There's, There's this whole idea built in of judgment prophecies that we don't know what would have happened had Cain responded penitently. But we do know that God responds to the penitence of humankind because the Bible is filled with stories of him mitigating or taking away consequences altogether, or at least judgments, altogether when people respond in penitence. And this is a theme that if what Yahweh is doing seems harsh right here, don't forget Cain deserves to die. He just killed his brother. Oh, what what might have happened had Cain turned his face towards God? And but we will have places later in the Scripture where people do just that, and God will be gracious and merciful. It, it reminds me of a friend of mine sent a meme to me uh, last week, which was this. He says, "This is the gospel. Uh, the gospel is the whole idea that you can have Paul, the apostle." a terrorist, okay, having killed people who then, for their faith in Christ, they went to heaven. He becomes a, he's a terrorist, and he's murdered people, yet because of Paul's conversion, when Paul dies, he is welcomed into heaven by the very people he murdered. That's Mm. the gospel. That's the gospel that even the terrorists can become the hero by the very people that he murdered. And it's just how God can take a terrible thing and make it good. So this is an example of it not working out because there's no evidence that Cain ever repents. And that's a a theme that I'm sure, I know for a fact actually, that we're going to see many times in the Bible. And I look forward to exploring that with you guys. And uh, listener, I invite you to join us back next week as we explore what happens to mankind as we move collectively farther and farther away from the Garden of Eden. (laughs) So be sure to tune in next week for that episode a reminder be sure to like and subscribe you guys have a great week we'll see you later see you next time shalom are we leaving that in are we leaving that in i think it will be okay